Welcome back to what I think now is episode seven um, of the things that drive us. And for lucky episode seven, we are talking to the brilliant Matt Pennington. Now, Matt is the MD of a company called Profound Decisions, and Profound Decisions will run the live-action role-playing game Empire. Now, some of you listening might not know what live-action role-playing is. You've probably, because of the enormous success of Stranger Things, come across role-playing in Dungeons and & Dragons and so on, where you all sit around the table and roll dice and kill monsters. Live-action role-playing is a sort of spin-off from that, where you gather in the field in person and you assume the identity of a character and you play a mass game. Um, Empire is the largest of this in the UK at least. Um, I think they had about 3,000 people at the last event, maybe more. Um, and it is it is brilliant, quite frankly. Some of you listening to this may say, well, this all sounds very geeky. Uh, my partner is certainly one of this. She describes it as my rubber sword event. But um, it's more than that, I think. It's, um, as Matt describes, it's sort of an enormous collaborative, interactive play, really, where you get to bounce off not just the plot and the setting and the game that Matt and his team have devised, but the other players. And I get a lot out of it, I have to say. I find it immensely creatively interesting and um, sustaining and stimulating and I've met the most wonderful people there um, it's interesting there's something about dressing up as someone else something about wearing a mask that allows you to be more real than you might otherwise be in your day-to-day -day life so we talk about all of this with Matt why he founded Empire and Profound Decisions how he runs the game the ethics of running a big event like this with lots of volunteers. It's all very interesting and I hope you enjoy it. So Matt Pennington, you are the MD of uh, Profound Decisions, which is a, a live action role playing company. That's right, isn't it? It is, yes. Uh, yes, I'm nominally in charge. Uh, the book stops here. Nominally in charge. Who's actually in charge? Uh, it's a massive collaborative organization basically yeah. you know there's a whole we run the whole thing together i'm always really wary of, of people who sort of present themselves as being in charge of anything uh i'm i'm the person for whom the, the book stops but basically yeah. i run it with a whole group of people so yeah 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 um so it's interesting because um i'm a relative late comer to live action role playing um um, I've done a lot of sort of tabletop role playing, mm -hmm. um, and I've been being badgered for years by a guy called Henry Sullivan, who's been at Empire since I think it started. Yes. Um, and I submitted just before the pandemic and bought a ticket then, and so came E1 this year. Um, and it's a very intoxicating event because what's interesting to me is the game itself is really good, but I think somehow you've managed and i don't know how you've done this but everyone everyone involved is really nice <laughs> and, and and you've managed to create a framework where you have these sort of very nice often quite shy geeky people um and you've managed to create something that allows them to talk to each other and encourages them to talk to each other um which is quite interesting i mean what was that a sort of conscious thing that you set out to do or was just the game and then it evolved from there 
I don't think it was conscious in terms of we want everyone to be nice to each other. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, the game we're running now is absolutely an evolution. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's I've always run games where the focus is on the interaction between the players. Mm. I'm not really very interested in telling a story. I don't have a grand narrative that I've got in mind. Mm. I, my I, I'm always entranced by the idea of a world with characters that are just in it and having their own stories and creating their own stories through their actions. Um, so I've always run games that are very focused on players interacting with other players. But for a long time, we had been utterly um, kind of obsessed with creating conflict between players. And some yeah. of our early games were very hostile, not, not you know not to the point of unpleasantness but they were basically it was a bear pit and we would try and put all the players in a bear pit and go right kill each other you mm. know it was mad max thunderdome stuff um and i think that created a very competitive environment and it, it often led to some kind of some people played it in a very kind of well let's see how many people we can kill kind of way which really wasn't really the intention and yeah. i don't think create and so we, we, we deliberately evolved away from that. We said, actually, there's a million ways that people can interact that's positive and constructive. Let's build and focus around all of those uh, interactions as well. Let's create a world where people want to talk to each other and it's constructive and it has meaning and it goes somewhere. Uh, and it doesn't just devolve into a fight over resources or whatever. Um, yeah. So in that sense, it was, I think it was deliberate. We wanted, we wanted a more collaborative, cooperative world than some of the games we'd won previously. Yeah, yeah, because, um, I mean, Empire's been going, what, 10 years now? Is it? I think next year is our 10th year, yeah, yeah. which is incredible to me. <laughs> yeah. No, and it's interesting because obviously I've only come this year, but even this year I've seen it, like you've had, people tell me that two sessions in a row you've had the most number of players ever and then, yes. then it increased so what do you think that popularity is sort of down to now what, why do you think that's sort of growing so largely now it's really hard to tell um hmm. we don't do enough uh kind of feedback uh, monitoring to really know but although i'm always you know it's very hard to ask the right questions if we look pre-pandemic we had a period from about 2016 to 2019 where the game grew slowly but steadily mm. and we kind of were really buoyed up by that and we were like this is going tremendously well and we'd made some structural changes to the game to the way we presented it which i think helped and i think it was sort of finding its audience and i think tabletop and role playing were becoming more popular mm. uh, and more well known in the media then the pandemic happened yeah everyone was locked down in their houses and i think weirdly you know online role playing critical role there was kind of an explosion in in what we would call our you know our kind of shared geek hobbies tabletop role playing yeah. all of those things and we, but we had no idea what that would mean for us we genuinely didn't know when we came back after the pandemic do we still have a business will, will anyone come to the events it's been yeah. two years we didn't know and the first event um was kind of We'd lost a lot of players because of the pandemic. Some people were still nervous, but we had hundreds of new players. And we thought, well, this is a really positive sign. And then since then, it has just exploded. Every single event this year was hundreds of players bigger than the last. Uh, you know, growth, we've had sort of five years growth in a single year. Mm. Um, it's just been extraordinary. What do I put it down to? Um, 
I think there's a lot of new players coming into the game and often new players imagine that that experience will play against them. They'll be, you know, they kind of think, well, everybody here has done it before. They know what yep. to do. But actually, live role-playing runs on enthusiasm and it runs on passion. And it's quite easy for somebody who's been doing it 20 years to get a bit jaded and cynical and be like, oh, I've seen it all before. Mm. When people come into lot for the first time, they're kind of bright-eyed and like, this is a world with thousands of people in that you can walk around and talk to and interact yeah. with. And it blows them away. So I think having so many new players come in has been really positive. It's built a really great vibe to the game. It's, you know, it's really got a kind of a positive energy because everyone's so kind of, it's so new and novel to people, even though the game's been going 10 years. Uh, so that's been really positive. I think the game's in a really good place. I think there are things we do which structurally support the game. And I think social media is being kind to us. Mm. Um, you know, we have hit a level just very slightly of virality that is kind of making our game visible to people that it was just never visible to previously. And so people are trying live role playing who've never tried it. You, you've almost come in via what we would call an old school route. The classic yeah. way people came into LARP was a friend would badger them for years, going, oh, you should come, you should come. And finally yeah. go, oh, I'll give it a try and you turn up. We're getting a lot of people coming who, who know nobody at the game, but they've seen it online or they've I'd always wanted to try that. And they see a video of it or they see it on TikTok or wherever. And they think, yeah, I'll give it a go. Um, and so I think actually we're getting quite a lot of people through those channels and, and and all of that together, friends recruiting friends, that that kind of vibe in the game where it's both old and established and running well and everything is is in a good state from the, the point of view of the game. But mm. you've got all these new players, so you've got this very freshness to it has really put us in a very positive place. It's true, actually. It's a very easy game to be a new player in um and everyone's very welcoming and everyone's sort of quite accepting of you getting it slightly wrong um and for people who aren't aware what i like what 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 i was very impressed about about empire was the way you set up the battle system so you have people um you have to be the, the enemy the monsters effectively one day so you can fight as your your own character the next day and I think that's a very clever idea for two reasons. One, it enables you to have those enormous set piece battles where you've got literally hundreds of people on each side. But also as a new player, it's a very useful experience to do because you can try out particularly the combat system with no consequences. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, was that a conscious decision or was that just a happy accident as a way of getting the numbers? It was just a happy accident, really. Yeah. We wanted these great big battles. I mean, we have uh, 80 or 90 dedicated monsters who are playing monsters all through the weekends because we're running sort of smaller scale skirmishes, like mm. a 70, 80, all through the weekend, just with our crew. But we wanted these huge cinematic battles. I remember doing... Um, a kind of a talk somewhere and I was like what do I want and I put up pictures of the battles from Lord of the Rings you know I want it yeah. to be this epic I want you to go on there and there'll be hundreds of orcs and you be like I'm in a battle with an army uh, and the only way you can achieve that is is through getting the volunteers to monster one because yeah. you'd have to have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of volunteers and then the question would be well what would they be doing when you weren't running a battle they'd all mm. be sat around twiddling their thumbs we need 500 volunteers for two hours and then yeah. two hours the next day so we knew it would have to be that way 
Um, and it's quite, I mean, the live role-playing hobbies run that way for a very long time. It often asks people to sort of volunteer to play these, these monster roles. But I, I, we had, um, I had a big focus. I, people who run live role-playing often think of it in terms of the players and the crew. And your goal is to use your crew to give your players a good experience. Yeah. And so when your players are volunteering, they're treated like crew. And the assumption is their experience doesn't really matter. They're just there to give the players a good time. We as a company don't think in those terms. My view is I'm putting on an audience, an event, and my audience is everyone at the event, the crew yeah. and the players. And I want them all to have a good time. <laughs> Um, because they're all at my event, they're all come there to have a, uh, you know, to enjoy the experience. So we were really f- clear-eyed that when players were volunteering to be monsters, we wanted that experience of volunteering to be enjoyable. We yeah. wanted it to be fun. We wanted it to be rewarding. And like you say, give you a chance to try out the combat system. If you're feeling nervous about the battles, great way you could just volunteer and, and yeah, exactly. You know. Um, so yeah, so we really wanted it to be fun and, and engaging and draw you into the game and, and get you, you know, and have a good time. Yeah, and it has some other nice benefits as well, because I remember the first event, um, volunteering as a monster, dressed up as an orc, um, standing on a field, watching all uh, hundreds of players march to the, the sort of entrance, you call it the Sentinel Gate, but the, the entrance onto the battle arena, effectively. And it just looked incredible, and it looked exactly like a cinematic sort of, um scene from lord of the rings or another fantasy film because people put just so much effort into their costumes and banners and everything else it it, it, it's quite a spectacular sight yeah yeah it it can be just so visually arresting that that as you say they put so much effort in you know years ago years and years and years ago the hobby didn't always look so good you know we were all kind of dressed in mum's curtains with a hole cut in the top uh, and you know and it, it kind of looked you know let's be honest it looked a little bit naff and it didn't matter if you were in it because your imagination filled in the blanks you hmm. just it, we didn't care that we looked naff but the standards of the kit has got better and better and better and, and the whole thing looks better and looks cooler and cooler and now yeah. people look at some of the videos like, oh is that from a film coming up you go no no that's our live role-playing game yeah um, i remember the one of the big nations wintermark did a, a march down to a swamp and there were 500 of them at night carrying flaming torches and to see this procession of 500 people carrying flaming torches it's just mind-blowing you know it's ju- you stood there and the, the, the hairs on the back of your neck are just standing up just looks incredible um you know, really, yeah. yeah, really cinematic. So, um, so for people who don't know, you've got a a nice way of getting diversity into the game, which is we all play in the Empire, but then you have different nations within the Empire, don't you? High Guard, yeah. Bruska, Wintermark, Brasco. I can never remember them all, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. If you but, start naming ten, you'll get to about eight, and then you'll be thinking, which ones have I missed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so. Um, and someone told me an extraordinary fact that Wintermark on its own was the third largest live role pay event in the UK. I don't know if that's a stat. It, it, it would depend whether you included Empire in those figures or not. Yeah. If you include Empire, it's probably the fourth biggest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Wintermark's pretty huge. I think there are about 550 players in Wintermark. Hmm. So that nation by itself is... Yeah. is 
He's one of the biggest LARPs in the country, which is crazy. Um, most live role-playing is quite small-scale. You know, there's loads of amazing events happening with 50, 100 players. And then there's a few large events with sort of 1,000 uh, mm. or 2,000 players. Uh, so it sounds impressive that one segment of the game is the fourth biggest LARP, but it, it's just a, it's a, it's a consequence of the way the... The, the, the hobby has a small number of big games and a large number of small games. Yeah, because, I mean, you founded Profound Decisions in, what, 2004, is that right? Mm, yes. So how did you make the transition? Could, I remember you telling me before, I mean, I, before that you were sort of running them on a voluntary basis. Mm. Yeah, we, <laughs> I... I basically got involved in LARP and very, very quickly was just sucked into the organizing side of it i mean i do love to play and i do think it's really important to play but but i love running games creating games being involved in games uh and i was sort of involved and and with some friends we'd set up a, a hobby organization and we ran two events a year uh and that was phoenix uh, amiga larp um and, but it was a non-profit organization and it was, you know, it's just, it was most of, of live role playing is, is a hobby based. It's yep. people doing it just for fun. There are actually only a very small number of, of companies doing it. But basically over five years, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And it was taking up more and more of my time. And I was like, look, this can't go on. Either I do this, I either quit my hobby or I quit my job and do this full mm. time. Uh, so I, I kind of took the decision, let's go for it. I had a long chat with my partner, who's just appeared in the rear view. Yeah. And, and we sort of said, yeah, let's give it a try. And so uh, Omega had finished. It had been a five-year campaign, and it sort of ended dramatically with a kind of end-of-the-world apocalypse, everyone dies, uh, rocks fall sort of situation. Uh, and I was like, right, I've got five months to set up a new company, create a new world, a new rule system, recruit a new team and set about doing this as a job, uh, which is what we did. Um, and we, mm. yeah, we launched in 2004 with a game called Maelstrom, which was all about a sort of discovery of the new world and yeah. had a sort of colonial settlers versus the natives kind of vibe to it. Okay. How long did you run that world for? Nine years. Yeah. And did Empire then succeed that? Yes, again. The, the thing with Maelstrom was it had been really, really experimental and we'd pushed mm. the rules in a lot of areas and, and it had a lot of it had a lot of elements to it that were sort of unstable. And it didn't really matter because we never really had any end goal. It was just, you know, this and, and so it was getting more and more unstable as it ran. It was like a, a machine that was just sort of throwing more plugs, if you will. And we were kind of frantically keeping it together. But we knew after I think year six that it was really coming to an end. It it, it had a very definite, you know, it can't go on uh, because it was like a tabletop game everyone was getting close to level 20 it was like it's going to it, it was going to sort of reach the limits of how it had been built really and so mm. we set about we're going right well we've got to create a new game we're going to we know we're going to replace this game what are we going to replace it with and and we had a three-year process of designing empire while we were still running maelstrom uh, mm. and then basically maelstrom came to a grand finale and then the next year we we launched Empire and set, and set Empire up and launched it. Yeah. So when you say we, who's in your sort of creative team? Oh, well, it, it's huge. Um, the, the, there's the game team, which is kind of the, the people who make the big decisions are myself, Andy Rafferty, who is in charge of all the campaign 
and ultimately the plot. Hmm. Graham Jameson, who is in charge of all the rules and also our finance director, and Claire Evans. Now, Claire's currently in charge of all of our on-field NPCs and all of our kind of community stuff, our new player outreach and so forth. Um, But she's doing that as a volunteer, but hopefully she's coming to work for the business in January full time because we're just getting bigger and bigger. Uh, So she's going to have a a much bigger expanded role. But I don't want to say too much about that now because it'll spoiler it. Um, <laughs> but she's she's yeah she's going to take on a lot more responsibilities next year but yeah. the four of us kind of run it together and we largely we try really hard to make every decision unanimous um, unanimously mm. um there's a very collaborative process sometimes someone will think well i just don't agree but they'll appreciate that the strength of feeling is stronger on the other side and go i don't agree but it's clearly what the group thinks i'll go with it um yeah. But we don't, I don't think we've ever said, well, you're just outvoted. It's three to one. So you just can't have that. We'll discuss it and discuss it till it's clear what we sort of feel as a group. And then we'll yeah. kind of agree that. Um, and that's worked really well for us. You know, yeah. so we, and then beneath that, we have a whole, you know, we've just had a massive team. We've got plot writers. We've got people who work in the production, the, the makeup, the set dressing, the, 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 and so forth. We've got the battle writers and the battle producers. We've got the ref team, the administration team. You know, beyond that, the, the team itself is just enormous. And presumably most of those volunteers, are they? Mm, yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, we have about 400 volunteers. Yeah. I mean, because that's the other thing that struck me, because we're about the referees. They're volunteering, but they're also having a really good time. Um, and that's presumably what you were talking about earlier, the sort of, they're the audience as well. Absolutely. There's a really interesting set of ethics. If You know, when you're running as a hobby mm. and nobody's making any money about it, you know, everybody's kind of, everybody understands that everybody's just busting their ass to put the game on. Yeah. But the moment you say, right, stop, this is a commercialized role-playing event, it's a commercialized role-playing game. I'm going to get paid to put this game on. There are really serious ethics around, well, you're volunteering. I can't make this work unless you turn up and volunteer, but I'm going to get paid. Yeah. How, how does that work ethically? And I, you know, I wrestled with that. And you know, people will critique my decision, but my view of it was my first priority is not to my players, it is to my crew. Mm. My absolute, I, my responsibility is the guy running the company is to ensure my crew have a good time. Yeah. They're coming for the weekend. This is their hobby. Uh, they've given me, they, they don't give me their money directly because they don't pay for a ticket, but they gave me their weekend. They pay yeah. to turn up. I feed them, but they give me their time. In return, I want to give them an amazing weekend. I'll pick my crew and make sure they're the kind of people who, if they're having a good time, then my players will have a good time. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 and that's kind of how I square that circle. It's like everybody's here to have a good time. Everybody's here to enjoy themselves. You know, if, if crew weren't enjoying it, it wouldn't be ethical for them to be volunteering. It'd be, you know, why why are you why are you supporting this organization? You've got to get something out of it. And, and what mm. you should be getting out of it is a great weekend. Um, yeah. And you, you you know, not every weekend is brilliant. You know, there'll always be some crew thinking, well, I had a shit time at the last event. Um, just as there'll be some player thinking that. But but I think if it's your goal, if you've got a clear sight of what you're trying to achieve, then you know that helps, helps a lot. Well, um, I mean, you're it's basically an outdoor event, isn't it? So you're at the yeah. mercy of the weather. And mm. I have to say, my first year I've been very lucky in that it's been sunny every time. Um 
Um, and I've heard stories of sort of people <laughs> weekend wading in mud. Although they seem to have enjoyed wading in the mud in the same way you do at a music festival, I guess. There's, um, there is a very strong um, kind of adversity uh, thing where everybody feels once you're right it's just nicer to larp in nice dry summer yeah. weather and it's particularly if you're a new player yeah. but once you've been playing a while and you've got that sense of community when the weather forecast comes on and says yes there's a hurricane this weekend and yes we have run in a hurricane you know we had 50 mile an hour winds and we had to take marquees down at 4am in the morning when we're getting lashed with rain because they would not have stayed up in the hurricane um it creates a real sense of adversity and it creates a kind of a camaraderie of of kind of we all pull together at this difficult time and and it it gives you that sense of real accomplishment and achievement um you know it it doesn't make things more enjoyable but it does make the the sense of yeah we did it even even stronger i think and you see it you see it in the kind of people produce like little badges of you know i survived hurricane kate or whatever <laughs> you know, because they've got that sense of you know i yeah. was there when i was there when there was nine inches of six inches of snow on the ground and the, the water in the pipes was frozen yeah you know, that, and, and people kind of you know they, they they lean into that um and yeah, yeah. Oh, but i won't deny it isn't better when the sun shines. <laughs> well, yeah 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 no i see what you mean you sort of become, a, become a bonding experience yeah but um i mean the other thing i'd be interesting because the other thing that struck me is that also the commercial entities that are at empire so the food stands and the um, kit sales and 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 the other shops I, I can't help but thinking that you chose them quite carefully because they're all really into it too. Yeah. Um, yes, and yes and no. I mean, yes, the caterers is really, there's there's two groups particularly, the, the caterers and the traders. Now, the traders are mostly live role players or have come from the live role playing hobby. So they've yeah. kind of got a passion for it anyway. Uh, and they make the costume, the weapons, the armor, the props and sell them to people. I mean, you can absolutely make your own and many, many people do. Uh, mm. But it's really helped the hobby having these very talented professionals who can make you a beautiful piece of costume or a beautiful piece of armor. Um, and we try to treat our traders really, really well because and we we deliberately kind of keep the we don't charge them a lot of money other big events charge a lot more and my view is those people are ambassadors for us everywhere they go they're going to talk about our event and what our event yeah. was for them and you know and also i really want them to have a successful event because i want them to keep coming and selling great quality kit you know so i i see treating them very well so i'm pleased if they enjoy being there because it's what i, I want how i would want them to be i would want them to be positive about the experience because as you say you want that positive vibe the caterers is really interesting because they are for the majority certainly the the ones with, with kind of uh, in our what we would call our out of game area who are just yeah. serving sort of regular you know a pizza or a sausage or a burger they are not from the live role-playing hobby they are from the event industry they are people who go to events and they put on they and they do their thing at whatever events but there's two things i'll say first is we do pick and choose you know we had a caterer who came last year and they clearly were like oh festival time for festival prices that'll be 12 pound for a meal please and afterwards we were like yeah sorry mate that's not acceptable at our event you mm. know I, I, you you can't come back with that attitude we you know we we just we won't tolerate 
our trade our caterers ripping off our players we just yeah. that's just not acceptable you know we appreciate we're in a field and their expenses you know but but six seven eight pounds is 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 where it is for us, I'm afraid. You, you just can't turn up mm. and do that. But actually, the thing that really makes the difference is that, and the reason that a lot of our caterers seem to really enjoy being there is because they go to a lot of events and festivals where there is no sense of community. People are just yeah. there to enjoy the music, but everybody is treating everyone like a stranger. Everyone treats everybody like, well, I don't know who they are. But in live role playing, it's such a tight knit community, and that's so important to us. And we, we we try and push that all the time. There's a really positive vibe, mm. uh, and there's a real, you know, we talk about, you know, people will bring down wallets and go, "I found this on the field. It's full of money," and hand in a wallet with two hundred pounds. You yeah. know, that just happens all the time at our events. I remember a caterer once saying to me, "You know, when we do Glastonbury, you can't leave anything." out because it will just disappear here you can leave things on the counter and two hours later they're still there you know mm. people will be coming up to you going i think you dropped this there is it, it it works because basically so many people in live role playing know everybody else there it's a festival when it's an event but yeah. because it's a, quite a small hobby it doesn't have that kind of 2000 strangers in a field and so people treat each other as if they're just friends you haven't met yet and i think our caterers find that really really unusual they don't get that at every festival they go to and so they react really positively to our community so it's just a positive feedback loop yeah, they, it's true. I mean, they definitely add to it. I mean, my favourite caterer of yours is, um, I think they're called Smoky Hole. They're on the in-game area. And there yep. was one. There was one event this year. They weren't there, and I really missed them. They do the best coffee on the field, I think. But also, right. just the guy who fronts it, he just seems really pleased just to be there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> and I noticed they were advertising on Facebook. They were saying if you come and work for us for an hour, we'll pay you in in-game money. Yeah. And I thought, well, that's really nice. Because then they're sort of joining the two worlds, if you like. It, it, yes. It was a really nice thing to see. Yeah, it's really nice that we do have, we have like caterers out of the game area. So when you're not playing, you can just mm. go and buy a burger. But you can also, there are caterers in the field itself. Yeah. So you can just eat in character. You never have to stop being your character. Mm. Um and yeah, it's really nice. Uh, uh, yeah, I think is it Richard? I think the guy I can't remember now. Yeah, uh, who runs Smoky Hole? Really good guy. Uh, yeah. He just knew this year, um, and he's been great. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you ever get out to the field to play? Or? I try to. Um, it, it's about fifty percent of the events. I don't get out to play. Uh, mm. I'll always be crewing something, but I, yeah. I'm always playing when I'm in character. There's always a part of me that is kind of poking the game and, and and having fun as my you know if you're not having fun as you, you the, the npc you shouldn't be doing it so yeah, yeah i do get out and um and play a couple of different roles as, as much as i can basically i think there's always a risk when you run a big larp organization that you will get further and further distant from anything that's happening and yeah. you kind of lose your connection both to the community and to the game itself yeah, and yeah. I'm always really passionate of like, no, no, you've got to keep playing. Sometimes people come to me and go, oh, I don't really play anymore. I just crew. And I think, well, why not? 
Mm. How can you really enjoy live role playing if you don't play occasionally? It, yeah. It's good to be in there and role playing and thinking, yeah, yeah. I remember what this is all about. I, you know, I know what this is for. So, yeah, I'll try and get out two or three hours if I can at an event. Um, and I've done reasonably well this year. I've been out two or three times. It's been good. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, it's kind of obvious from what you say that you've got a, quite a passion for this, and it sort of fires you up quite a lot so is that is that what keeps you going and keeps you doing it then it really is um I, I yeah I, I i don't know how long i've been doing this now since i was about 20 uh, mm. a long time <clears throat> over 25 years um and you, there's always that risk when you say okay i'm going to make this my full-time job that yeah. it will become kind of soulless and passionless and it all mm. just turns into work but no i i'm still I'm, I'm still almost as excitable about LARP as the day I first started. Um, I'm still kind of, I, I still get passionate and still, oh, we're going to do this. Let's, let's, you know, let's create yeah. an X. Let's build a Y. Uh, I want dragons. I'm still, um, I'm still a little boy at heart, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of, I, <laughs> when I was six years old, I decided I never wanted to grow up. And there's, <laughs> You know, I am Peter Pan at heart. Mm. It's like I just want to live in a fantasy world of stories and heroes and anti-heroes and, and mm. dragons and magic and, and battles. And yeah, I'm still as passionate about it as as I ever was. Um, yeah. yeah. So one of the rumors I heard was that you were looking to buy a permanent site. Um, because there are people who I play with who have crude for you and, and do, still do occasionally volunteer with rest and do makeup yeah sort of so is that is that an ambition that you have sort of it is time? yeah we're well on with it um i oh, say right. no wait <laughs> let me re- let me completely walk that back yeah we're well on with getting it started <laughs> right. um we we've we've been trying to get our own site for years because it's the big thing that's holding us back um, there's so many problems with running on a temporary site. You've got to put all the infrastructure up at the start of the weekend. You've got to take it all down. Yeah. Everything has to be temporary. Everything's got to be mobile. My dream is a site where with buildings and a Senate and a great big tavern that, you know, with a roaring fire in it and music playing. And <clears throat> to make those things really amazing, we need a permanent site. So we've been pursuing this chimera for years mm. and we could never really quite make it work we we got very close we did a we were in sort of final negotiations with a big charity that owns land and they were going to lease a block to us and then that fell through and and then in 2019 we were like look we've grown so much that we're financially in a position where if we could get the capital for the deposit we could afford the mortgage for the borrowing Mm. So we're like, we're close now. Let's let. And so we started to put a plan together to do it. Uh, and then and we worked on that plan all through winter of 2019. And we're like, start of 2020, we're like, this is it. We're ready to launch. This is our big, exciting thing. And then the pandemic hit. Yeah. And we're like, ah, that's taking the wind out of our sails. So then we had, you know, two years and we we're like, well, everything's just on hold. And then we started this year and we were like, right. And I wanted to get going. And my finance director was like, no, Matt, we have to wait to see if we still have a business. You know, we yeah. can't, can't do anything. Uh, but by June, it was very clear that things were better than they had ever been. Yeah. And so 
we basically, we've launched a new company called Unknown Worlds. It's a separate company from Profound Decisions, but it's kind of, you know, it's all it's run by similar people. And we've sold shares. We've sold 600 and, we haven't sold the shares. People have subscribed. And at the point we will issue the shares and then we will basically issue the shares to them. But effectively, de facto, we've sold 666,000, an auspicious number mm. uh, worth of shares. So we've raised a huge block of capital. Uh, so a little bit, there's kind of a couple more weeks of that to run. By the end of October, we should have about three quarters of a million, maybe 900,000. We're going to borrow a similar amount of money and that will give us the money to buy the land. Mm. Then it's just a case of finding the right piece of land and getting the relevant planning permissions. Uh, yeah. Two huge, huge, huge but, you know, tasks. I don't want to underplay them. They will take months, if not years, uh, but we've done, we have effectively completed stage one, which is yeah. to raise all the money we need and get ourselves in position to go. So that is, yeah, that is really exciting. And indeed, I spent all, all morning signing contracts and putting, emailing them back to people. Yeah. <laughs> I was so delayed. How does that feel, sort of transitioning to the sort of more, if you like, creative driven part of the business to now? That seems to me quite more hard headed commercial. Mm. All seems a lot more real now. <laughs> I mean, does it well, feel it, like that to you? A bit. It does yeah. a bit. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm always excited. Um, I guess the thing is, we're talking about buying. We're talking about every live role player's dream. Every person who's been in live role playing for a while has like dreamed of like, oh, if we had our own site. Yeah. Um, it, and the, there are some dedicated sites. You know, there are half, three or four sort of sites around the country, but nothing that would really accomplish the kind of dream ambition that we've got. Um, so in a way, you're right. We're talking something really hard headed. You know, we're talking mm. about three quarters of a million pounds of, of my friend's money that is sat in a bank account waiting for me to find a site. We're talking about, you know, really kind of serious real world shit. Um, but at the same time, it's still all in pursuit of that great dream. You know, the kind of uh, that the, the, oh, when we own our own site, we'll be able to do X. It's all about that kind of vision of creating a better LARP. And I think you know, when we talked to all my investors, I, I think that is the, it's that passion that has not got them on board. You know, we're offering a return, but I don't think anyone is investing in this thinking, oh yeah, 7% per annum, that'll give me X, I'll achieve Y. People are kind of like, they're like, oh yeah, the, this is the dream to have our own LARP site. So I, I, in a sense, you're right, the real world and the kind of, that it, it has become more serious, but it's also, it's just a continuation of what I've always done. It's taking that dream and just going, all right, let's dream even bigger. You know, mm. let's, let's imagine something even more incredible. Yeah. So sort of going back a bit to something you raised earlier, because it's something I wonder about, have wondered about a few times playing the game, because there are some people who've been playing characters there from year one of Empire. Yeah. So they've now got these very powerful characters. And I do wonder, is there a point where the players get so powerful? Because you, you were referring to that in, in relation to Maelstrom, the players get so powerful, it kind of, kind of breaks the game. Or I'm, is that something that... Yeah, anyway. yeah, I mean, certainly 
periodically we get people concerned about it. I'm not unduly concerned. Empire was built with a much longer timescale in mind. Hmm. There's very much a diminishing returns about the power curve. So as you accumulate experience for your character, every skill becomes more expensive that you want to buy. Yeah. Um, but crucially, <laughs> Empire has a lot of competition between the characters. There's a lot of conflict. You know, although I said there's a lot of uh, emphasis on cooperation, there's still a lot of conflict. Yeah. There are 10 nations in the Empire, but they're all feuding for the advantages for their nation and, and their friends. Yeah. So there's a lot of competition within Empire. But the conflict between characters is social and yeah. economic. Uh, it's It's very, very, very rarely i'm level five and you're level two yeah so the conflict doesn't actually it doesn't matter if someone's been doing the game. what if you've been doing the game for years the people you know and the experience and your knowledge of the system is will be more useful to you than the fact you've got eight xp or whatever that the new yeah. player doesn't have where the skills come in generally is when you go out on the battlefield and mm. fight and at that point all the players are fighting together so does it really matter that the guy five foot down has got 10 XP more than you? I suspect it's not having a big impact. Yeah. Um, and so I'm not unduly worried at this stage. Maybe in 10 years' time, I'll feel differently. Uh, but I'm yeah. not, yeah. I, I look at it and think, nah, I'm not seeing a big problem at the moment. Yeah, and I think that's one, I think you're right about that. And that's one of the strengths of the game. You've got these... You've got basically a number of different games you can play, haven't you? You've got the sort of economic trading game, you've got the priest game, you've got the magic game, you've got the politics game. You can just go out and hit people if that's what you want to do. Um, and you could do a sort of combination of all of those things. Yeah. Um, and I remember I met a guy, well, I've been playing with him every every time he's been there, and he plays a sort of politics trading character. And he says, I've got all his XP, I haven't spent them on anything. Mm. yeah and it just goes to show what you're saying it's it's a sort of it's a social conflict rather than a direct i'm bigger than you kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah for most people who are playing that social politics game their skills they might be important in terms of saying well i'm a magician so i have to have some magic skills but they're probably not making a big difference beyond that it's slightly yeah. different with rituals where you do need skills to be yeah. able to perform the more powerful rituals but if you're playing the politics game it's just irrelevant what the skills you've got utterly irrelevant nobody cares uh, and indeed it doesn't surprise me that someone can be yeah, i just haven't spent my xp yeah you know um because why you know just not relevant um yeah and it's interesting we deliberately we thought a lot when we you know a lot of live role playing is i don't want to sound critical because i love my hobby but a lot of it is not designed it's written mm. so some friends will get together and go, oh we've got a great idea for a game and they'll be really excited about the game and the world and their vision for it and they'll write that thing mm. when we created empire there was excitement about the world and the setting, but there was also thousands of hours spent thinking about live role-playing and thinking about how it works and about what happens at events and what games take place and how people interact and doing what I call design work, thinking mm. about, well, what would we want to happen? And so we spent a lot of time thinking about the different kind of games that would happen and thinking which ones we wanted to encourage and which ones we wanted to discourage because there are... You know, there are games you can play at live role playing that, that we strongly discourage at Empire because we're like, yeah, that's not 
that's not part of our game. We, we don't want it. You know, I'm not going to say it's, it's illegal, but we, we're not going to encourage it. Um, mm. And and so, yeah, but but it does mean you can meet people at Empire and they're basically playing a different game to you yes. <laughs> in the world. And you, they'll, if you talk to them about their experience, you'd be thinking, I don't know. I, I, what are you talking about? I haven't seen any of these things that are clearly very important to you. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's, a, it's a great... It, it's um it's a very great um strength of what you've created um and it's interesting to hear about the sort of design philosophy behind it because i know what you mean it would be very easy to have it have a strongly written game but then that would be too restrictive on everyone in there I and mean, it would be because what what I think you've managed to create quite well is a world where the player can take ownership of it. it doesn't feel like they're playing in someone else's dream, if you like. Yep. Yeah. Was that the intention from the start, or did that? Oh, did... absolutely. Yes, yeah. categorically. Um, there's a real. You, you, people talk about sandboxes, um, mm. and you know, and I think there are sort of a lot of online kind of like games that are sandboxes i think like eve online is a classic example of a sandbox although i never played it so i'm always careful when i talk about these things but there's a lot of um games where you can just be in the world and interacting and the, the, the problem with a setting where it's a pure sandbox where it's only the players in the world doing anything is the risk that it becomes a bit dry nothing ex basically players settle all the arguments agree all the agreements mm. sign all the alliances it's like right everything is now in a settled political state well what happens next week well not a lot because we all agreed we were all going to do this and so the risk in a pure sandbox environment is it becomes stale simply yeah. because the players effectively settle every argument settle every conflict so then you say, well, I want to put some plot in. I want to inject uh, an element of like a story, like a dramatic. But the problem if you do that mm. is that effectively you take control of the narrative away from the players. Uh, your events dominate what's happening in the game. And it then becomes about the story you've written instead of the story in the player's head. And that is a central conflict in live role playing. Um, you know, is it the author's story or is it the story of the actors and you know and the, and different lrp organizations will place the emphasis in different places we wanted to be very 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 strongly focused on our players and what they mm. were doing but we still wanted to put a lot of plot into our game and we said well how do we do that and the analogy i use all the time is weather mm effectively my job is to write the weather for each event it's yeah. like you might turn up with your grand plan to have a battle today but by the way it's a hurricane and it's raining or there's an earthquake or there's an x or there's a y there's no sense of a narrative to the stuff i'm doing i'm mm. just throwing like random fake cards at you i'm just gonna go ah oh, the wheels come off your wagon. The it's raining. Yeah. There's bandits on the road ahead. There's X. I'm throwing random things at you to upset your plans and make you go, "Oh right, I've got to, I've got to change what I was going to do. I've got to take account of that." But I want it to be about your story. But I want it to be in a world that's unpredictable and has events happening that are outside your control. So you are the prime mover, but just like 
our prime minister has recently discovered events can be you know <laughs> to a greater or lesser degree beyond your control and in a sense we're trying for those who don't know don't know the setting the whole point of empire is that the two three thousand characters who turn up are supposed to be the movers and shakers that collectively are running an empire yeah it's um what's that swiss uh thing every with all the hyper capitalists and the political leaders go to i can't remember oh, the Illuminati. oh yes no um uh i know what you mean i've forgotten the name of I've it i've forgotten the name but it's yeah. a big meeting where all the kind of leaders of industry and the countries and they all and, the, and, and there's a sense that our game is supposed to reprocreate that it's all the big important people the generals the archmages the senators uh the cardinals are all coming together to uh, and even if you're not one of those people you're one of those people's allies and political supporters you're an mp you're a you're everyone in the game is and you together you are controlling and running an empire and so the decisions you are taking are pivotal to the game they are setting the narrative arc collectively of what happens in the world but you're not in total control I'm going to keep throwing bombs at you the whole time. I am basically a rock-throwing anarchist trying to derail your train all the time. And I don't ever really want to succeed. I don't mm. want to run you off the tracks. But I want you to have to sort of wildly steer to keep going in the direction you're going. And so my goal is to, to, make your, to let you have a journey, but to make your journey dramatic. And that's, that's the balance that we aim for in Empire. That's brilliant. And I think that would be an excellent place on which to end. Mm. So, Matt cool. Pennington, thank you very much. So that was the excellent um, Matt Pennington, who has achieved what I think many of us would like to achieve, which is making their job, their career, their source of income, something that they're really interested and passionate about. So I have to say I'm quite envious and I'm hoping to arrange my life so that it does more of the same and perhaps you are too and one of the things i hope that this podcast series does is demonstrate how different people have done this the motivations they do this and how perhaps you could go about doing the same um if you're interested in finding out more about profound decisions i've put a link to the website in the description of the podcast but it's profounddecisions.co.uk i'll also put up um a link to a website saying more what live action role playing is if that's interesting to you and you'd like to get involved but that aside i think what matt demonstrates very nicely is how if you channel the creative urge in the right way how if you access what you're actually interested in how if you commit to your audience particularly and your audience in the widest sense you can produce something that's really quite successful I find that um, very motivating, and perhaps you do too. Anyway, um, I hope you've enjoyed episode seven of The Things That Drive Us. Please like and subscribe. Give us a rating if your app allows you to do that. And um, I will see you again on the next episode.